What's up, y'all? Welcome to Tailgate Talk. Uh, this is my first go at something like this, but uh, I've always wanted to try and envision myself doing it. So in admiration for people like Dave Waters, Ali Peak, David Soderquist, and none other than our illustrious founder that's allowing me to do this in all kinds of weather, Neil Schulman. Uh, who can forever call me a life coach from now on. Uh, I'm going to take my Twitter armchair coaching to an entirely different level. And I hope this won't flop as badly as the Giants did against the Cowboys on Sunday night, but uh, we're going to cross our fingers with that. Uh, so I have three aims for this, and I expect you all to call me when I fall lower than the standard on this. Uh, my first goal uh, is this is meant for fun. And when I say this, I mean life. So I I'm, don't take myself too seriously, and you shouldn't either, but feel free to send those nasty emails so I can share them with the world if you don't like what I'm trying to do here. Uh, secondly, uh, we're going to talk Gators mostly, but we're also going to talk about big picture college football issues and this crazy changing landscape that's just moving in front of us. I still am not looking forward to this barn burner of Rutgers versus Washington. Can't wait for that next year. Uh, but thirdly, I may drop a curse word here and there, but my aim is to make this as family friendly as possible. I've dreamed of doing something like this since I was 13 years old in my room uh, back in the day where before podcasts and the internet, I had the newspaper uh, and I had Jerry Green and George Diaz of the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, so I want kids to listen to this because sports are a pretty awesome thing to have in your life. And um, when the world seems crazy, crazy sports tends to bring us all together. So uh, that's my intention with this. And uh, if I ever do get passionate and say a bad word, we definitely will put the explicit logo on here. But my uh, goal is to make this family friendly for the entire Gator family and college football family that uh, we have every year passionately going back and forth. Uh, and I promise there will be uh, no F-bombs dropped on the show. Uh, my whole goal here is to make you feel like you're at a tailgate talking with a buddy. Uh, so think of it as a margaritaville of football, if you will. Uh, R.I.P. Jimmy Buffett. Uh, so with that being said, I want to introduce you all to my first guest. Uh, Brad Shepard and I actually met uh, through Twitter, appropriately enough, and I had taken exception to something he had written about Florida in an article on Bleacher Report. Uh, but then when I looked at his profile, I said, oh, this guy's a Braves fan, so he's not probably all too bad. So I definitely included a Braves compliment in my diatribe that I emailed to him afterwards. But uh, we've kept talking um, after that, and we've been a uh, really good uh, sports friendship that's grown into a personal friendship, uh, including when the Braves won the World Series in 2021. I think Brad and I uh, uh, almost put AT&T out of business that night with the amount of data that we were going back and forth with. Uh, so given that he was something of an inspiration for me over the years, I'm glad he's on the first show. So uh, Brad, how's it going, buddy? Man, I'm doing great, Casey. Thanks for having me on. And I'm good luck to you in this this endeavor. It's always fun to, to get started with something new. I mean, I've done a little podcasting in the past. Obviously, I, I have a face for radio and I don't have a voice for <laughs> Don't have a voice for um, for radio, so that's not a very good combination. But, um, you know, everybody gets to look at my ugly mug and talk a little bit about Tennessee, Florida. So um, I appreciate hey, you having me on. You know, like I told you before we started, Brad was worried about a glare in the background. I said, if they're watching that for our faces, we're in trouble. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, Brad, you're obviously a sports writer, but you're, you're a Tennessee diehard. Uh, so as a fan, how are you feeling going into Saturday night under the lights at the Swamp? Well, so I'll tell you, you know, it's it, it, it as a Tennessee, as a longtime Tennessee fan and a Tennessee grad, um, it you never feel comfortable about this game. And then that's just because, you know, obviously I grew up um, watching the, the Spurrier former battles. I've been to several of those games, as I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. Um, 
quite frankly, after watching that Utah game, I, I felt very good about Tennessee. I, 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 I believe because, you know, I, I took a lot of flack on Twitter and rightfully so because any, any, you know, basically any time that you're a rider who is also a fan of a program, when you come out and say something like, I think Tennessee is going to win the national championship this year, um, you get tons of hatred from lots of other fan bases. Well, and you're not, you're, you're not a single digit follower guy either. So that's you're right. just a random and, guy and, saying that. <laughs> and lots of other flack from even from your own fan base. That's like, what are you doing? What are you saying? Um, so obviously I believed in Tennessee this year that Austin P game has given me a lot of pause and not because Tennessee overlooked an Austin P team because obviously of the big game this week, but because there were a lot of deep rooted issues that I had been that, um, you know, obviously worst case scenario you're concerned about. So I will say this, I think Tennessee is going to win the football game, but, there's a there are a lot of concerns, and I will get into some of those too. Yeah. But, um, I, I think that you know, I I really think that especially with the game being in Gainesville, it's a lot more of a toss up. And quite frankly, if you're a Tennessee fan, you can never feel comfortable playing Florida. You know, I've all, I've often said that uh, uh, Florida is to Tennessee what LSU is to Florida. Uh, just mm-hmm. gets that voodoo magic, crazy good luck uh, more often than not in the series. So I've often said I understand why Tennessee fans hate Florida. I get it. I totally understand it. And uh, living in Atlanta, it, there were a lot more Tennessee fans up in Atlanta than there here are in Fort Lauderdale where I live now. But uh, yeah, it's it's a special rivalry. It's a really, really special rivalry. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about this year's game and then we'll go into, um, you know, historical uh, because everybody has a Florida Tennessee story. Uh, so um, for UF fans who haven't watched Tennessee um, or haven't seen it, uh, you know, I didn't watch the Virginia game and I was watching my own game uh, when uh, y'all played Austin P and I just read about it. So uh, what is new and who is new with Tennessee? Who do we, uh, who are we introducing this year? Uh, because I know uh, uh, your quarterback from last year is gone. Um, enter Joe Milton. So uh, right. who's new and what's new with Tennessee. So I'll tell you the reason why I was bullish on the Vols this year and winning and, and going a long way um, is because of three things that I believe have come to fruition. And one thing that has not yet, the three things that have come to fruition that I really believed would happen and we're seeing it play out is I think this running game is, is dynamic. I think that Tennessee's running game this year is, is better than it was last year, even with the same cast of characters, simply because I think that Jalen Wright um, has, has improved his, has changed his body. He's improved his game. Thankfully he, he briefly entered the transfer portal and then came back. And we really kind of saw some flashes last year that even though Jabari small was the, the, the kind of the, the starter of the bunch that Jalen Wright's really the bell cow. And we've seen that this year. We saw, um, we saw Dylan Sampson score four touchdowns against Virginia. He's a sophomore that's gotten a lot of run. I mean, so we th- there's really three guys in that backfield that are that are excellent players. And I thought that Tennessee was going to really do well running the football this year. The second thing is I believe that, that Tennessee learned um, on, under Coach Banks, the defensive coordinator, how to play defense last year in that Clemson game. The reason I say that is because, you know, obviously te- you, you don't just step in in year two and make up for a, a huge talent gap. Obviously, Tennessee does not have the horses on defense 
that that coaches that have recruited for a, 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 a full four-year cycle has. But what they did in that Clemson game, and, and truthfully, Clemson played a freshman quarterback and, and had tr- trouble scoring. I'm not an idiot. Like, I realize that happened. But one thing that they did was they really pressured the quarterback. They really got after Klubnik. They, they brought a lot of extra guys in the box. And they had a lot of success doing that. In doing that, tennis, the best player on Tennessee's entire football team, Aaron Beasley, the middle linebacker, was able to really show out and kind of shine and carry that team. So those are the two things that I think that we've seen this year. I mean, I think that that's really something that has that has carried Tennessee through the whole, um, you know, through some struggles with the passing game. But the other thing that, that the reason why is because I didn't I didn't think the SEC was very good this year, and I think that's playing out as well. I think the SEC is much worse this year than they've been in the past decade as a, as a whole. Good call. Now, man. I, I definitely I believe, agree with you on that one, and uh, you didn't have to watch that. What well, who did Kentucky play this weekend? Eastern Kentucky. Eastern. And you know, they struggled going into the fourth yeah, yeah. quarter. What in the brutal? And, and Tennessee struggled with Austin P. Yep. Quite frankly, I wasn't going to rub that in, but you know. <laughs> And Alabama obviously struggle with Texas. They've got their their issues as well. Um, and you know, just as an aside, and we'll get back to Florida, Tennessee in a, yeah. in, in a minute. What did you? Uh, what were your thoughts about Alabama's loss? I know, uh, aside from you taking just joy and probably going in your backyard and doing uh, doing uh, mud angels <laughs> since it was raining the other night. What's your? Uh, is Bama done? Well, I, you know. A lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of Tennessee fans hate Florida. I mean, I grew up on the Tennessee and Alabama line. I'm I'm a I'm a Bama hater. I mean, so this this past decade and a half has been really difficult for me. Um, I don't want to say that the dynasty's done because anytime you recruit the way Bama recruited last year, I mean, there's legitimately 12 players in that class that could be anybody else's top player in their class. It just that recruiting class was absolutely loaded. We're seeing it this year with guys like Caleb Downs at safety, Decaden Proctor um, at, at offensive line. I mean, there's just waves and waves of players there. But you don't replace Bryce Young. You just don't replace him. I mean, and so they're, they're- – I, I didn't see anything from him on Saturday night that was – there was one good throw. There but other than that, throw. he was running for his life all over the place when he really didn't have to. He had the protection in the pocket. Um, his strength is obviously Jaylen running Mil- on the ground, but I think what Milrow's problem is, or what Alabama's problem is, is what a lot of SEC teams' problem is, and that's the quarterback position. I think it's Tennessee's problem, and that's what I was gonna, what I was kind of getting around to while I go. I had a lot of faith in Joe Milton, but I mean, I think that at this point, th- there's a lot of questions. I mean, there's always been a lot of questions. You know, the talents there, but you have a ton of questions about how does that translate into a game. When the when the when live bullets are going, Milrow was the same way in that Alabama game. I would be very reluctant to say that the dynasty's over, but I think Bama's going to lose three games this year. I, I mean, I, I think, think that's fair. I think that's an absolutely fair assessment. They've already lost one. Uh, well, I don't think you go into Death Valley and beat LSU. I don't think you do that. Uh, I like Julian Sayan, who's coming in next year for Alabama, the five-star quarterback. I think he's a stud. I think that he's exactly the kind of player that can put them back on the map because you know that they've got just incredible talent everywhere else. Um, but they don't have the quarterback this year. And that's going to – and and then next year you've got a freshman quarterback. So is, is he going to be the guy? You know, you, you could look at a couple of year down cycle here and, you know, quite frankly you have to ask yourself is, is Saban cut out at this point of his career to, to deal with three lost seasons? Or does he really see this as a challenge and kind of want to build them back? 
And then he he really, he's already going to go down as one of, if not the greatest, but if he can come back after losing three games this year and win a national title next year, I don't know if there's ever going to be anybody greater in the game than that. But that being said, bringing it back to the the quarterback conversation, what do we need? What do Florida fans need to know uh, about Joe Milton? Well, I mean, kind of what you, you know, what you've seen the past couple of years uh, of him actually, I mean, he's he's never had trouble winning the winning the job. I mean, obviously his his talent skill set just jumps off the charts. There's been m- myriad stories on all major publications about him and just his physical attributes. I mean, you know, he he won the job twice at Michigan. He actually beat out Hendon Hooker a couple of years ago and won the job at Tennessee. But when he gets in the game, you know, you you see some struggles reading through the progressions. I have not personally seen that this year. The thing that I'm that I have seen that Joe Milton is struggling with is the timing aspect of things. Hitting his receivers in stride, learning how to put touch on the football. Every, every you know, everybody calls him Bazooka Joe now. Well, he's his, got a cannon for an arm. Yeah, I mean, he does. He was, but he was overthrow Joe the first year at Tennessee, and we're seeing that a little bit again this year. So, I mean, I think you're seeing him. You know, in that Austin P game, there were probably I counted six balls that could have been caught by the receivers, but that they were behind the receivers. So the timing aspect of his is off, and when you have that. In a Josh Heupel coach, I was going to say in an up tempo Heupel offense, that's a problem. You know, it, it's absolutely a problem because what because at, for every time that you have a lot of success when you're running that hurry hurry up offense to a T, um, when you're not running it so well, what what it leads to is three and outs in your defense on the field a lot, and that's what we've seen the first couple of games that Tennessee's played. That's quite frankly, and and there were six three and outs in that in that um in the Clemson in the Orange Bowl last year too that tend to get glossed over because Joe did have a good game Tennessee did win that game handily but there were some stalled drives and so we're seeing a lot of that now and so you know it's just a matter of Joe doesn't run the offense quite as clicky as Hendon Hooker did and then honestly a couple of things that 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 you know what I'm willing to give Tennessee a little grace on right now is a couple of the the things that we've that there's no real way of knowing because we've not seen it. And that's that the, 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 the top player that dictates the tempo on that offense is Joe Milton. The sec, the number two player that dictates the tempo on that offense is the center Cooper Mays and Cooper's been out the first two games. And Florida center was out last game. Expecting to get him back in the Florida game. It's going to be a game time decision, but they think that he's going to play. If he plays that changes the whole trajectory of that offense because the tempo has what essentially last year was around 85 plays a game has now dipped down to about 75 to 78. So that's going to, if Tennessee can see the uptick and that those offensive plays go up, it means they're having success. Joey Halsley is the new offensive coordinator and he took over for Alex Golish, who's now South Florida's head coach. Losing him has been a big, a big thing for Tennessee. So quite frankly, they don't have the offensive they, they have the offensive firepower, but you've seen drops and fumbles from receivers. You've seen b- throws behind the receivers to, from Joe. You've seen a little bit of the, the tempo that's dipped a little bit. So Tennessee is not quite clicking offensively like they were. But truthfully, it was this way last year, too. That pit game, Tennessee didn't score um, until the very tail end of that first quarter, and then things started kind of going in the right direction. So they got off to a slow start last year. So if Tennessee gets those plays back up and gets that timing back down, I think you're going to see um, a different football team. All of the pieces are there, but when things are out of sync in a tempo-based offense, 
it, it gets ugly quickly. And that's what we've seen this year. And the biggest concern from, from Florida's perspective um, is can't, how long can the defense hold out? You, you know, the offense cannot stall and Florida can't come back. You know, if they go down 17 to nothing at the start of the first quarter, I don't know if this offense could get us back to that point. So I think early and often stops is is would be Florida's key to the game. Um, you hit the nail on the head. In my opinion, the two biggest keys to this game is is Florida keeping Tennessee from getting off to a quick start. Because if they get off to a, if Tennessee gets off to a quick start, then they can settle down and kind of get into their tempo. They can do the things they want to do offensively and kind of mix do a little bit excuse me, a better job of play mixture than what I've seen so far. The second thing is, is that Florida from, from, and I've watched both games and I've watched every play of both games leading up to this game that the Florida has played. Um, to me, Florida has done a lot of stack in the box. They've done a lot of getting after quarterbacks and they want to probably try to do that against Milton just because it, they, they know that Milton could potentially get rattled. That's difficult to do with Tennessee, with the way Tennessee splits out receivers. What Tennessee has really exploited a lot um, during kind of the the good times of the of the um, you know the the Hopple offense is when teams put a lot of pressure on the quarterbacks. They throw those quick outs. They get those splits. The receivers can find ways, can find open spaces, and the quarterback can put the ball on them. So if Tennessee could exploit that, um, then I think that Tennessee would do well. If Tennessee has if struggles to exploit that, because I don't see Florida's mentality changing. If they get pressure on Milton and they put seven in the box and try to stop the run and put the, put it on Milton's shoulders to beat them. Tennessee's got the horses for that to happen, but they haven't seen the consistency to make it happen yet. Well, and and, and I think going, going even de- deeper into that point, you've got, we're going to load the box. You know, Florida's going to load the box and, and dare Milton to throw it. But when you do that, you end up like the first play that Utah had against Florida and end up on a touchdown on the first play of the game. So there's a risk reward to that, but that's good. That's good to know about Tennessee that uh, Florida fans can uh, look back and say, well, this is who the guy that we need to, uh, we need, we need to be watching. Um, How much do you think 20 years of walking out of the swamp on the wrong end of things factors into this game? And, and what I mean by that for listeners who don't understand that point. Tennessee has not won in Gainesville since 2003. Uh, so I was a freshman in college at that point. So, uh, you know, we've we've seen a lot of streaks come to an end by Tennessee. Uh, so do you think that psychology affects the team or the coaching staff? Or, you know, you alluded to it with fans, but how much does that play a factor on Saturday night? I think it plays a huge factor. And I think you talk about, you know, it's, it's very easy to under to underplay the psychological aspect of things. But when players hit, and then you're like, oh, this is a new group of players. This is a new team, yada, yada, yada. When players hear that and they and they hear it from fans, they hear it from fellow students, and they know the history when, you know, it's like Billy Napier said this week, talking about the rich history of Tennessee and Florida. Tennessee doesn't really want their players to know about the rich history of Tennessee and Florida because in their lifetime it hasn't really been pretty. So you try to just separate that a little bit. But psychologically, you know, somebody asked me this week, what are you most scared about Florida? And I was thinking, I was like, you know, looking at it from a personnel standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, you know, nothing about Graham Mertz really scares you. Nothing about Florida's struggling offensive line really scares you. 
Obviously, I think you know they've got Pearsall as is, is a stud, and you can you can count on him to catch the ball. Love Trey Wilson. I think he's one of the most dynamic freshmen in the country. Lots of guys that you look at. You know, Florida's always going to have talent. You know, Florida's always going to have athletes. You know that they always find a way to get the ball in the hands of those guys, and they do something crazy against Tennessee, whether it's a, a backup or a third string quarterback or not. And the reason for that is when somebody asked me what I'm fear most about Florida, I said the helmets, the jerseys, I fear Florida. Just quite simply because the Murphy's Law aspect of football happens no matter when Tennessee plays Florida. And it's happened even last year as I'm sitting You know, when we got that onside kick, I I just looked at the Tennessee guy next to me. I'm like, here we go. (laughs) I looked at at my dad. I was in the stands that I looked at my dad and I said, I I just can't watch it. And I've (laughs) never – I've never not watched a final play. I'm like, I'm not watching the Hail Mary. Like, I'm just not watching it. Well, I mean, it's not like you haven't seen it before. You know, you know, you you, you see, you see that so much that I just, you know, I paid that money to go to that game and then didn't watch the final play. I just, and, you know, thankfully it worked out in Tennessee's favor, but there have been so many times where it hasn't. I've got a dear, I, I, I got a dear friend down in Jacksonville, Don Johnson. So if you're listening, Don, uh, I texted, I was at the 2017 game and uh, I was texting. I'm like, you know, here's to overtime. And he goes, stop it. Stop it. You people, you people, you people always do this. And then the ball landed in Cleveland's hands the next play. And he said, I I hate you people. I hate you people. It's just so that was was cool to be there for, from a Florida fans perspective, but I got to ask, what's the worst loss to Florida that you've, uh, that you've endured? Man, there's been so many. I mean, and I wrote down all the way, you know, I, this used to be a game that I went to all the time. Um, and, and you know, honestly, you know, over the years when you, you know, when you get married and you you, you change jobs and you do all these things, and you have kids and and those those things really, you know, you don't go as much as you used to. But I used to make it a point. So I was at the 95 game. The, my first experience was um, I played a high school football game. In 95 and my dad's like why don't we go down to Gainesville so he went down to Gainesville drove basically all night a couple of buddies went down there um we're high school kids now I'm a sophomore in high school we're walking past fraternity row I get my shirt ripped off after the game by because I'm talking crap and you know and um but that was the 62 to 37 game and then and so you know you think well that's what an what a what an indoctrination to this series that is so I go back in 97 with Peyton and you know former forgets to forgets that or didn't realize that Jamal Lewis is on the sideline and it's a 33 to 20 game. So my greatest memory <laughs> because was my freshman year of college in 98 where they stormed oh. the field and I know that 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 crushes your soul. Oh, but, it does. It does. But you know, I was there. I mean, so the next year we thought Oh, where they're, you know, we've got it, we've got it kicked. And so we travel to the, I drive, you know, drive down to the swamp and Alex Brown has seven sacks. And, you know, and then there's, was it Alex Brown? That was his name, right? Yeah. The defense yeah. Alex, yeah, yeah. Alex, yeah. Alex Brown. And, then, you know, my first memory really of Florida, Tennessee was, uh, uh, Joey Kent meeting Lawrence Wright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The ball thrown from Peyton. I mean, that would be first degree murder in football today, but, uh, man, that was and, a, that was a hit. I'm, people don't realize, you know, so at this point, I'm a, I'm a sports writer, student paper. And and uh, in 2000, I'm standing literally on the two-yard line for the garbage no catch for, from Gaffney. So I'm there having to endure that. And then worst case scenario, I get to go to the Florida locker room after that 
Because then, I mean, honestly, like at that point, like I had the the journalistic integrity thing going, right? I mean, so, you know, you, you do t- kind of take it at its face value that as many kids that are crushed over here, you got these kids that are ecstatic over here. So there was that one. Um, that was the heartbreak. And then, of course, the 9-11 postponement game. I'm sitting by a couple of my good Florida buddies in the press box, Andy Staples and um, Jeff Darlington, who have gone on for much better yep. sports writing careers than yep. me. Um but those guys, um, those we're all there to watch the Travis Stevens game, and then since then, honestly, that was two thousand one, and and I've been to two since. I was at the Jawan game, and then I was at the game last year. So I'm two and zero, or I'm three and zero in my last three. So hey, hey, you need? Uh, I, I've got a free ticket. You want to go to Gainesville this weekend? <laughs> I got a free ticket for you. <laughs> So, you know, I, I went from being from really struggling through. Oh, and I didn't tell you. And so the 95 game, I get my shirt ripped as a sophomore in high school by, you know, drunken fraternity guy. And then in 97, we get down there to get tickets and we get to our seats and about 80 people have the same tickets that we have. <laughs> so we bought counterfeit tickets. So they're kicking people out of the game. And so we, we end up just like walking around the state, like we did not want to get kicked out. So we left when we saw they were kicking people out and we're like walking around trying to just sit in straight. There were no stray seats. So we're like trying to sit in strays, you know, getting kicked out every time somebody comes back from their beer break or not beer break, but their coats (laughs) and stuff, you know, and it's just, it was a brutal game to not only have to endure the defeat, but to not really have a seat to just kind of be, you know, matriculating around the stadium, hoping that you find a place where, you know, nobody's going to kick you out. You know, um, so I, that was, my I, first two Gainesville experiences were horrific. <laughs> I went up to Knoxville. Let's see. I've done 2011. In, uh, yes. 2011 in Gainesville, 2013 in Gainesville. I went up to Knoxville for that uh, barn burner in 2014. That, uh <laughs> What was it? Nine to seven or ten, oh, ten to nine? <laughs> Just invent ways to lose. It was so cold. Oh my gosh! And then we put it in the backup. And the back, floor, Tennessee was up four at uh, nine to nothing. And this lady behind me is like, "I'm finally going to get to see the Gators lose in Neyland. And Florida comes back and, of course, wins ten to nine. And uh, you know, this lady said, "I just did. and something that's not appropriate for radio." But uh, all <laughs> the Florida fans held up ten because it was ten years in a row and Florida won with ten points. Sure. So. Uh, and I went in 2020, went for the COVID game, another cold one, another really cold one. Um, but yeah, I get cold up there. Yeah, it does. It does. But uh, I got to ask. So you said you were at the 98 Florida Tennessee game, and I'm assuming you were at the Alabama game last year. What was uh, w- which was more wild? So believe it or not, I had to do I had to work Bleacher Report last year and did not go to the Bama game. It's 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 the great. And they did you wrong. Other than blowing. Other than blowing the opportunity to go to the 98 championship game, missing the Bama game last year was was the biggest soul crusher of my life. Um, <laughs> I it, am it, sorry. As a fan for you, I, I am sorry that you, you no, had missed that. It was not only that, but I didn't get – I mean, so I got to kind of enjoy it, but I did. I had no faith leading up to the game, so I had to go out and buy my cigar um, on deadline. So, thankfully, the Bleacher <laughs> Report editor – Miss um, Paige Coon was like, go get your cigar. We'll be good. And so I came back and then had to like completely clear my mind and rot. So it was, you know, and so <laughs> now I'm the, you know, I do national college football for Bleacher Report now. So obviously that was a big part of my story, but it was not the only thing that I had to focus on. So it was yeah. extremely difficult to like, you know, <laughs> 
when I when I filed my, I'll never forget. You know, I, I smoked half my cigar and then I was coughing up a black lung and decided I'd smoke the rest of it later. And so about you know one thirty a.m. when I filed my story, I'm still just jacked up and I'm like watching the game again. So I watched it and really kind of enjoyed it in the quiet of my, you know, and, and celebrated again after that. But, um, you know, I, I Sometimes really. Sometimes you got to pull the Aaron Rodgers and just just listen and shut out the world in a black, dark room, right? So nothing will ever really beat the 98 Florida game, only because it was such a seminal moment for me. Because it was, it was I was a freshman. We camped out for tickets. And it was like, you know, we, so it was like a, it was this experience. So we're like sitting, you know, we're there all night. We camp out. There's like a dude playing a guitar. It was like the perfect college like atmosphere. We get to the window and it's just a random luck of the draw. We pull 50 yard line seats, 36 rows up. So, I mean, it's like we're watching it on tell. I mean, it was just beautiful. I'm thinking this is, you know, this is the way it's always going to be as a student at Tennessee. You're always going to get these seats. Never got them again. But I was there. It's all, it was the perfect seat to watch the perfect game, to break the streak, and to be the catalyst for the title. And it was just, you know, and celebrating all night, going down to the strip, to the strip, and you know, doing all things college do, college kids do, and and it was just, it was just such an experience that was such a, you know, when I try to. So my son is is thirteen, and he doesn't love sports the way I do. And I, I, I just he, he likes sports like he'll watch games with me, but it's not just he's not passionate about it like I am. And I wish that he could have just one of those moments that just like you look at it and you're like, you know, this kind of transcends life right now. This is one of the most important experiences of my entire life, regardless of whatever. And it was truly one of those moments. It's so true. You, you know, and that perfectly leads into the next question I was going to have for you. Uh, you know, the first moment that I remembered being being a Gator. And for anybody listening that's been to a Florida game, and Brad, I'm not sure if you've ever heard it, but there's a video and it says, what makes us rise? And it talks about when did you first learn the salute right over left and talking about what it means to be a Gator. And uh, mine was Chris Doring in 93 against Kentucky, you know, with Doring's got a touchdown and, you know, the cute story with it. I was uh, at my grandparents' house and my grandma didn't want me to get into sports. Um, and my grandfather brought like a little for the kids that listen to this, they won't, they won't know, but it was a little portable TV. You remember those little portable TVs that you had and they had a little handle on top and they were black and white. Uh, But my grandfather had one of the rabbit ears that you pulled out and everything. And uh, he bought it and he put it back in my room. And after dinner, he and I, you know, went back to the room and uh, listened to Mick Hubert, uh, the great Mick Hubert, who uh, back then, you know, you didn't have, you know, ESPN one, two, three, um, and ESPN 438, you know, to watch college football. So, you know, the radio broadcast, it was on the Sunshine Network. And, you know, when it landed, when Werfel threw that ball and it landed in his hands, Doring's got a touchdown. It was like, that was that seminal moment. That was that moment of passion that was like, I want this. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, and, you know, it may be that 98 game, but uh, what was yours? What was your moment when you became a Vol or you became a sports fan? That's a great question. And I've thought about that and I've actually written about it a, a couple of times because I mean, at that point, you know, I'm a college freshman and, and there was, there was never a doubt. It was really, I mean, when I decided I wanted to be a sports writer, it was either I wanted to go to North Carolina to write or I wanted to go to Tennessee because I'm a Tennessee guy. And so, you know, I, I just chose Tennessee and kind of 
carved my own path as far like no at that point no student had ever um so I, I was a correspondent for the Chattanooga Times Free Press and I was a correspondent to the Tennessean then I um the, the Andy Staples for the Chattanooga paper and then Chris Lowe with the Tennessean started did an internship with the Tennessean did an internship with the Atlanta Journal Constitution so you major in um, English or did you major in journalism or majored, majored in journalism cool. so um did did that and, and like when I and I did did the the newspaper thing for several years after college but but at that point, like I knew, I was already, you know, dot in the wool. But for me, it, there were there were there's a couple of moments that I remember, and and one of them is a is neither one of them is an actual moment like that. Neither one of them is a game moment. They're really more um, things I remember that really kind of morphed into, I, you know, me just loving it on my own. And so the first thing is my dad had a had a had an old VHS. Um, of the sweet, the sweet taste of sugar was the 1985, um, the 1980. So I remember one of those old Coke bottles that you would put and it had like all the scores on it. it, He had one of those, but no, this was just the, the, there was a, so what it was, was Tennessee played in the sugar bowl in 1985 against Jimmy Johnson, Vinnie Testaverde, um, Michael Irvin, the blades brothers, and just the stud you. And, Absolutely, the downturn to you. Downturn to you. I remember, I remember watching that game, like, but I was six. I mean, so this was like 1985, and I was, or it was and January. I was, born, I was born in 85, and the game was 93, so I was around seven. So this six, was yeah, this was six years old. So there was that VH. So essentially, leading up to that Sugar Bowl game, there was a like an hour long show chronicling Tennessee's. 1985 season narrated by John Ward. So even though I remember watching the game, I don't remember watching that VHS and buddy, I burned that VHS up. Like <laughs> the whole next year, my whole seven and eight year old year. Like I would watch, I would sit in my room. We had, I had my bed and then all the oral recliner. And up until I was in my teens, like I would watch the sweet taste of sugar on VHS over and over <laughs> again, and then watch Tennessee annihilate, Miami 35 to seven in the sugar bowl. You know, I don't like either team, but anytime yeah. Miami loses, it's a good day. It's a good day. So that was, you know, that my, nobody my, gave Tennessee any chance to win it that year. So that watching that over and over again, the Dale Jones amazing interception against Alabama was just, I mean, that was, that was step one. And then step two, it was really a player for me. Like as much as I love Tennessee and as much as I remember like the miracle at South Bend, I kind of watched those games recorded on VHS because I was playing football. So for me, the player was Heath Shuler. And when Heath Shuler really kind of broke out and became, he really kind of took Tennessee from a Tennessee's a nice little SEC team to the early former years. And Tennessee's suddenly winning 10 or 11 games every year. He, he went to New York. He didn't win the Heisman, but he went to New York, didn't he? He, I, I should. I, he did go to. I think he went to New York. I think. I think he was a candidate for the Heisman. I, I don't think he won. I should I know that and and don't. But I mean, but I, he, I met him actually. He was a congressman in D.C. when I was interning up there. And uh, nicest guy. You know, it's funny. I uh, I had on a little gator pin um, that the congressman I was working with was a gator, and so uh, he walked by and he just went. Ugh. <laughs> and I said, I'm so sorry. And I knew who he was, but sure. um, I got a picture with him. Just a really, really nice guy. He sure was good. Good guy. Good guy. He's a good guy. And, and, you know, and so like, but he was just, he was it for me, man. I mean, like once he kind of, he kind of became 
like he was kind of he personified Tennessee really becoming a national program. And then post Schuler, you know, it, it transitioned. We had there was one year where it was Jerry Colquitt, Todd Hilton, and then it transitioned into the Peyton era. So like there were really, you know, there was really like a nine year stretch there where it was just you had two of the greatest quarterbacks um, in the country and two of the the legends of Tennessee football. So it was really it was really the sweet taste of sugar and then the Heath Schuler era that really did it for me. And I remember, you know, it's funny, I grew up in a, in a small town and in, in, in outside of Fayetteville, Tennessee and Lincoln County, Tennessee on the Tennessee Alabama line, right about, about 30 miles North of Huntsville. I've, Alabama. I've, I've driven through there many a time. Many yeah, a time I've driven through there. And so, so Lincoln County's football team won three state championships growing up. So what I'll never you play? I would wake. Do what now? What position did you play? I played, I played center and defensive tackle. Dang, so, man. Dang. So we, you're like uh, what, what Stevens from Colorado, man. You're you're on both sides of the ball. <laughs> yeah, I did. But I ended up having to. I, I had to. I had to quit because I had a heart condition, but which crushed me. But um, but I remember growing up, and it was like I would wake up in the morning, and they were just incredible. And I would wake up, and they had a coach's coffee show where they would do the talk to the high school team. So you'd do the coach's coffee show at like seven a.m. And then there, you would listen to Leonard's Losers, and then it would be like the Tennessee pregame show. And even if the Tennessee, even if Tennessee was on was on television, like I would turn my little television on and listen to John Ward, and I'll just never forget it because it just became it was like a Saturday ritual. It was like well, and and my Sunday was breakfast with the Gators. You know, Mick Hubert would be on there and Spurrier, and you you get Spurrier on there. Well, I you know I don't know why number number eleven ran this route when number uh, eight nine you'd be down the field. You know, that was the watching him, you know, analyze the game. There's a funny story, uh, you know, where he pulled Danny Werfel out of the game uh, after two or three interceptions. And Danny Werfel goes up to coach and says, and I'm so sorry, you know, I, I and <laughs> Spurrier looks over and says, don't don't apologize. Not your fault. It's me who put you in there. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh it's what, what a national cool. treasure. What sports what can do. I, C. Spurrier is a national treasure. He yeah. totally is a national treasure. But, you know, it's so cool what sports can do. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm hoping the show does to at least humanize the other sure. side. Um, well, you, you know, I'll never forget Sunday morning. People don't – people – it's just different these days. But on Sunday morning we would wake up before church and we would go – we would drive like 45 minutes to Winchester because at Winchester you could get a Nashville, Tennessean newspaper and you could get a Chattanooga Times Free Press. And so, like – I'll never forget, like, you'd go buy the, the papers, and I would just be so excited. Most kids are excited about the funny pages. And I'm, like, excited to see what what Chris Lowe, what David Clymer, what Joe Biddle, what Mark Weedmer, what those guys had to write about the Vols game. But like was, I said, for me, it was George Diaz. It was Mike Bianchi. It was the late Jerry Green. He had a really cool article, really cool column series. It was called From the Cheap Seats. And you, um, and, you re, and you relived it again on Sunday. And you did. You re, you totally relived it. And, you know, back when you didn't have a computer and you just got to watch it, you couldn't go online to rewatch it. You had to you were at the mercy of ESPN or when whenever it would be re-aired, you know, Absolutely. that it was a special experience to be able to see a game twice. It was. Um, you know, so, uh, Brad, we're going to go into uh, what we're going to call a flash round. And the flash round is going to be five words or less with no explanation to any question I ask for the next five questions. So it's going to be Tennessee, Florida related. It's going to be a a little bit of everything related before uh, I let you go back to your son's math tutor for the evening. Uh, Because, you know, algebra, that's what we all need to know in 2023. Hmm. (laughs) So uh, first question, Dion, 
for real or not for real? I buy the hype. Buy? Okay. You, you know what? That's a good... This is the first show kink we're working on. Buy or sell. So, Dion, you're buying Dion. I'm buying him. All I right. I like the talent level. The Pac-12 having the most rated teams in the top 25. And at the end of the year, that will still be said. Buy or sell. Best conference in the country this year. Wow. That's a bold statement. Okay. Uh, who are your top three Heisman candidates through week two? Michael Penix is who I picked. I'm going to roll with him right now um, because it goes against the grain. Shador Sanders and Caleb Williams, all three Pac-12 quarterbacks. Man, Williams had a good night the other night, didn't he? I mean, that kid's yeah. just that, that was that was more than five words, but still. Oh well, yeah, you, you know, we'll make we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll make an excuse on that. Right. Um, oh, I'm going to make it tough on you. Realignment stops here. Buy or sell. I'm I'm gonna sell. I, I think I think there's too much money to be made to not see a super conference. It's just incredible to me that we're gonna see Stanford play in the Atlantic Coast Conference. I mean, like I mentioned in the intro, Rutgers and Washington, this is something you want yeah, us to endure and watch. College football as we know it is over. ACC stands for the all coast conference now. Uh, it, they might have to actually change their name to that. I mean, right. I've always called them the all, almost competitive conference, but here. <laughs> right. uh, who is your pick for a national champion? It's a wide open year, so I, that's not an easy question. So, I, I hate to not say Tennessee at this point when I picked them, but I, I think that I think oh we'll say Tennessee's one A. We'll say Tennessee's your one A. Who's your who are they playing in the national title? I mean I I think Michigan comes out of the, the Big Ten. Bold move, Cotton. Bold move. Bold move. Uh I want to say, say Penn State because I really think that Penn State sneaky has good. more talent than anybody else up there. I but mean I just, you know when they were down seven to nothing and they just Ran it up. What was it, sixty-three to seven? And I realized they were playing nobody, but they can do it with the arm. They can do it with the quarterback's legs. They can do it with the pass catching backs. And that's not even getting in to their middle linebacker play. So my buddy was was Drew Aller's history teacher in um, Medina, Ohio, and so I have a I have a soft spot in my heart for Drew. Um, I don't know Drew, but I mean, just out you know, it's that second degree of knowing him. So I as much as I have always hated Penn State, like I kind of pull for them because, you know, and I just, I mean, I think they've got a lot of talent. I cannot stand James Franklin, but. Um, well, I would imagine as a Tennessee fan with him being a dandy, he didn't leave you with good memories. <laughs> uh, it was, ugh, that was a bad, this is a bad time. I, I would, I would say Michigan at this point. That's, right. um, yeah. Uh, favorite spot in the SEC, tailgate spot in the SEC. I think if I had ever gone to LSU, I would say LSU because I've never I've, I've been to LSU but never for a game. Man, Texas A&M fans are cultish, but they're so freaking cool. They're I just the nicest people. You know, they thumbs up everywhere they go. I mean, just the nicest. It, nicest they were, it was. It, I felt weird because, like, they were just so nice, and then and it was. That was even though Tennessee lost in overtime. It was it was a fun experience. I mean, and so I. I would say underrated Texas A&M. I wish I had, had. I wish I had better experiences in Florida, but I just 
I've had you know you're you're two and zero, so you're uh, you're uh, you're staying home. If I need to call your wife and make sure she ties you to a chair, you're staying home. But I've had brutal experiences down there, and <laughs> and when uh, men bark at you, that's never a good thing, right? <laughs> uh, favorite drink and favorite food to have at a tailgate. Must have drink and food. I don't I don't really drink anymore. I used to drink. Um, or what would recommend then people to drink? We'll say that Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, mine is uh, bubbly water, so bubbly sparkling water. That's 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 my go-to nowadays. But uh, yeah, what's your food choice? Uh, chicken wings. It's always chicken wings for me. See a pub sub. For no me. matter what, kind. every time it's a pub sub for me. Pub sub for the win. But no, uh, all right, nothing else left to do. But the fat lady singing, and you give me your prediction for Saturday night. Oh man! So I think that that I think the under looks tasty in that game. I do not see that game getting to fifty-eight and a half points. I think Tennessee runs the ball. I think Florida wants to slow things down. I think Tennessee really. I think Tennessee really struggles at times in the game, but I think that we have not seen Tennessee yet break out and really stretch the field like we're going to see. So I, I would I would lean toward the Vols. And I'm going to say it's probably I w- at this point I would say like 30 to 24. I think it's going to be extremely close game. I think it's going to be another one of those nail biters. Every Florida Tennessee game that I've ever been to has been one. I'm not going to this one, but I just all I think that all of the talk about Florida being um, being down, you know, obviously I think that 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 they're more down than what we've seen. But Tennessee always has the struggles against Florida. So I think that game's going to be close. I do think the balls win and kind of exercise the Gator demons a little bit down there, but it is by no way, shape, or form going to be easy. I got uh, Florida 28, Tennessee 24. So, again, close. I mean, we're both close. So I wouldn't balk at it either way. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not – if we're sitting here having this conversation on Sunday, I'm not going to be surprised if – if Florida wins that a blowout would surprise me on either side, a blowout would surprise me. Same, same with me. So, well, Brad, thank you for joining. Uh, first edition of tailgate talk here, buddy. Uh, go back to uh, learning algebra or calculus or whatever's going on over there that, uh, I put out of my head when I get rid of my TI 83 calendar or calculator. So, well, man, thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll do this again. Thanks. All right, man. All right. See you.